In Practice is brought to you by East Street Arts, a charity working to secure better livelihoods for artists and its neighbours. This first series will focus on artist-led spaces and the often invisible connections between them, local institutions, communities and authorities, with the aim to interrogate these connections to better understand their use in relation to growth, sustainability and fostering good support structures for local artists. In this episode, Ollie Musson from the Rising Sun Arts Centre and Double OK talks to Annie Kershaw, co-founder of A Girl Called Stephen Theatre Company, Emmeline Nevers-White, digital illustrator and volunteer at the Rising Sun, and G.K. Field from Double OK. Sharing their experiences as queer artists, they discuss how organisations and institutions can best support queer creatives in Reading. Hi, I'm Ollie Musson, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm at the Rising Sun Arts Centre in the upstairs room. It's quite a hot day today, but we've all come together to have a chat. So I'm with GK Field, pronouns she, they, uh, Annie Kershaw, pronouns she, her, and Emmeline, aka Vane Wynn, uh, pronouns she, they. So we've got five questions about being a queer artist in Reading and for a bit of context Reading doesn't have a lot of queer spaces and Double OK which is the collective I'm part of are a few of the people who are trying to create queer spaces in Reading. There's a lot of queer artists here and we're just trying to bring people together to do queer stuff <laughs> and Double OK are a partner with Rising Sun Art Centre that's why we're here. So, first question is, what, if any, barriers have you as a queer artist working in Reading experienced? And how has this affected your creative practice? So, we're first of all going to go to George. So, putting two hats on, me personally as an artist, I never really focused on any of my work being queer-centric because I didn't see any of it reflected in the environment around me in Reading for the past 20 years. And when I got involved with Double OK, the starting point was that Double OK wanted to create space that didn't exist there. And that was the way in which we felt was the only way we could do it was doing the events ourselves and making that space. So it Double OK is an expression of the barriers in which we've experienced in Reading. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Have Have you got any thoughts on how that's affected your creative practice? It's definitely meant that the work that I've been doing most of the time that I've been in Reading hasn't really been within a queer context. I've kind of hidden it within the work. And it's only from being able to be in those spaces and create those queer spaces that my work has be more expressive within my own queer identity. Thank you. We're going to go to Annie next. Hi, Annie. So I grew up in Reading and wanted to work in theatre from a very young age. I think came out as queer in like my late teens and just didn't see, yeah, like George was saying, didn't see myself reflected in the work I saw around here. And then there was still limited like theatre to go see in Reading as well. So that always took me to London. Yeah, and so 
it was growing up here without the social aspect as well, without with the lack of queer spaces and without the actual like enough theatre for me to really like develop as a theatre maker. So I ended up moving to London to in order to see loads of theatre and to feel like I had a queer community basically. And I think that's reflective of a lot of young creatives in Reading as well. Everyone does assume, and you know, if you ask people about culture in Reading, a lot of people assume you just go to London, then you see, get all the culture you need. Creative practice wise, yeah, not seeing that reflected meant I'd make stuff in London. I was playing catch up to look at what queer theatre was in London as opposed to here. Um, and that's kind of what's drawn me to you guys, of course, working with Double OK. So obviously we've collaborated quite a lot. Yeah, we're trying to make queer spaces, trying to make queer events and just more of a culture here for, yeah, for queer people. Yeah, I think the thing that people don't realise is that getting to London from Reading is quite expensive. So by moving to London, obviously that's that has its financial implications as well. So I'd be constantly working on all sorts of jobs to live in London and which meant I was making even less work as well. So it's been, I'm now at a point where it's starting to level out and I'm making a lot more theatre than I was but it's still you know trying to just make ends meet so it's either that kind of live in Reading and sort of be able to make some work um, with some money um, but not see a lot of work or it's live in London see loads of work and be in a great community all the time but yeah be constantly financially struggling and trying to bring it back to Reading also has its financial implications as well. Definitely definitely thank you Annie. Uh, we're going to go on to Emmeline next. I was also born and raised in Reading, but at an early age, I found myself moving quite a bit to places like Swindon, Camberley, Farnborough. But in my heart, I always knew I wanted to come back to Reading because it was my only place where I found that I did see people like myself compared to these other locations where it was almost like banned to present yourself as queer um, or be even into art it didn't seem like a viable source of income to people outside of Reading. Whereas at least with the people I was raised with, um, my parents, friends, art always seemed like an option and presenting as queer didn't seem like something to be scared of. So coming back to Reading um, in my 20s felt like a big new opportunity where I could start finally putting my art out there and being seen. But what I found being my barrier with the queer community is my skin color and the fact that I am brown. People look at me and they think, oh, it's cool that you're an artist and you're queer, but you're not like us just because my experiences as a brown person doesn't fit their ideals of what it means to be queer and what the kind of art I do is. So I found myself quite disappointed with my own community and the lack of community of my kind of people who are brown artists and such in Reading. And I didn't feel comfortable putting my art out there or being out until I started finding spaces like the Rising Sun Art Centre or going back to Pride events where I found other organisations and stuff who started being like, no, we don't care what your skin colour is or what you do we're just happy to have more people part of this community. So I think it's getting better, but at the start, it definitely stunted me a bit. I think 
being in a smaller place than Reading and then seeing Reading from a distance is a very different experience than coming. So I, I lived in Sheffield and then came to Reading and I was like, oh, Reading's so small. But if you've lived in a smaller place, coming to Reading is a very, very different experience. I think for me, the places I moved to were predominantly white people around me, whereas Reading is very culturally diverse. So moving to those places, all I could think was, gosh, I just want to see someone else like me, which is why I was always brought back to Reading in the end. So kind of as George said, it's been about creating the spaces to be in because I didn't feel there were any spaces that I could just slot into as a queer artist. It was like, okay, so we've got to create these spaces that we can slot into, that we can be in and also then when we started doing that we were like well we want to bring other people in too we don't want this to be just about us we want it to be a community I think that's honestly been the biggest barrier to my practice is because we've had to invest so much time in being producers and curators when actually that's not that's not what we are we're artists and we've become that and I do enjoy that but I don't have time, as much time, to make my own work and be a performer. I'm often producing an event and hosting it and then also performing and also trying to pay everyone. And when that's successful as well and you are holding spaces for other people and people are like, this is great because we've got space, you don't want to stop because then they don't have space anymore. And don't you find that, like getting funding or applying to anything or getting support everyone's always like tell me about your practice tell me about you as an artist and I'm, and sometimes I'm like actually I haven't had a chance to really look into my practice because actually I'm a producer and I've been sorting out the money for this and then suddenly like I'll get money to put on an event or a show and I get in the room and I'm actually like I literally have not had time to like even think about how I want this to go apart from the initial idea I had because I've just been, it's been non-stop with producing. And yeah, so yeah, that really resonated with me as well, for sure. That's been a huge learning curve. I'd never even knew that that's what you had to do to, to even get money to create spaces. First of all, being like, okay, so how can we, how can we create spaces? Who can we work with? Okay, now how do we get money? Now we have to learn how to write a funding bid. Then we have to actually put on the event and then... <laughs> And then deal with anything else that goes wrong. And the funding bit itself asks you to package up what you do in a certain way and tick certain boxes and label things that you might not have even yet discovered yet, you know, as we're emerging as creatives or developing as creatives. Suddenly you're being boxed in with a certain art form or something because that's what these funding organisations need from you. So that always feels a bit strange. It just feels like you're playing a game, ticking their boxes. Yeah. Taking boxes, I, uh, yeah, I feel like every application where I've said I'm queer, I'm like, am I just ticking this box for their diversity funding? Mm -hmm. But we need the money to do what we want to do, so you do it anyway, don't you? But Yeah, there's pros and cons to it, of course, because like, at the end of the day, they're trying to get more money to different parts of the community, so it's good for us to highlight that we're part of that community. But also, it does sometimes feel like, yeah, box ticking and like we're tokenistic or something? For me, I find that I've never felt comfortable going out to try and do these things that Ollie and Annie are doing. Um, 
I'm still almost in that little um, metaphorical closet of where I don't want to be out as a brown artist, queer, because it's not really been accepted, but it's something I'd like to change so I can make that same community where people can feel safe and want to come out and take part in these events and everything and help fundraise these uh, different types of events where people can just come together. So next question is, what support have you received from organisations or institutions in Reading? And how has this helped your practice? So if we go to Annie to start. Um, I was kind of made as an artist by a theatre called Reading Rep Theatre Company, um, who have now got a building, million pound investment into a new theatre space off King's Road, which is a major deal for Reading, if anyone doesn't know about it, look it up. They're really great theatre and they're going to do more great things in future. But basically, I started working there when I was 16. And I think I helped with their car park duty. From there, did internships. From there, got mentoring and assisting jobs. So in like theatre directing, you like assist first and then you direct your own shows. Then they gave me space to rehearse, space to then put on my own show. And they've just trusted me more and more over the years and I've helped them out with things. And now they're my mentors and I'm now putting a play on their next spring. And they're still trying to support the community in Reading, the queer community in Reading. Like they're really good. They're really keen to offer us space to do queer events. And they're really keen to give help to emerging artists in Reading. It's organizations like them, I think. And obviously, organizations are at different levels like some do have space to offer some don't and some don't have capacity but with Reading Rep what I've noticed is they went whatever capacity they had they've tried to help me and others as well and now they've got more more resources more staff more space they are sharing it with the community so to me they're you know they're working hard to do to do the right thing and so obviously for my practice being given space, being given opportunities to work on professional productions has been major for my career. Getting mentoring and learning, they taught me how to apply for funding. So that's literally been the making of me as an, as an artist. Yeah, so it's definitely organizations like them that have opportunities and space and funding and yeah, just support, general support and partnership and collaboration. Thank you. Uh, I love that you started working in their car park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was 16 and I worked my way up. <laughs> you did, you really did. But I think that I think that is a big thing to take away from that is that sometimes it takes a really long time for organisations to trust you yeah. and be like, okay, we will invest in you. And it, yeah. and it can take years to build that relationship. Mm. And actually, sometimes when organisations do that straight away, that's like really hard to come by and that's when it's been the most helpful for me I think yeah there's there's merit in both because because obviously there's you know there's so many creatives that you could do with support so I suppose they saw dedication and quickly then tried to assist where they could and so yeah there's a difference I guess between organizations doing like a call out for 
um, an opportunity where you get mentoring and you get space and it's like an associate company call out or something. And then also a company where, you know, they have interns or people helping out and they see like the potential in someone and then try and create opportunities for them. I think both have, yeah, have pros for sure. Of course, from, from their perspective as well, they've seen me over the years develop and take on everything they've given to me. So it's been like, I, I hope, a good two-way sort of working relationship, for sure. Yeah, cool, thank you. Um, shall we go to Emmeline? So for me, I didn't start getting involved with organizations until pretty much after COVID. Before then, I had only about a year before moved back to Reading, didn't know anyone in the area. So I kind of just secluded myself in my house um, and didn't really want to go out and try and make myself out there. But after COVID, I was fortunate enough to meet some a volunteer at the uh, Rising Sun Arts Centre who pointed me in the direction of Ollie. And I went to one of the exhibition events and you and I started talking and I was very uh, open about how I wanted to start a scene almost in Reading and create more spaces for queer artists as well as a space for brown individuals. And the support I've received since then has been amazing. Um, I've been able to put on my own exhibitions, art events, and other similar like stuff, all because of this organization with a lot of support from the volunteers, especially Ollie. So it's made it a lot easier for me to want to start doing art. So I, cause I know it's gonna get out there now. I know people are gonna see it. And once people start seeing it, they're going to want to get involved and realize like, oh, there are people who want to help us. I think what helped with the rising sun was how, not necessarily easy, I don't want to say it's easy, but how it wasn't complicated to get involved because I think that's what puts off a lot of people. There's all these big scripts and long words that for me at least, I can't deal with. It's easier to just verbally someone talk to me and be like, this is how we do things and we'd love to do it with you. I can't deal with the whole complications. So Rising Sun really made it easy for me to get involved, feel included and start just showing what I have to offer. Thank you, thank you. Um, shall we go on to Georgie? Um, in relation to Double OK, I think we've had kind of background support individually from Jelly um, kind of in the early days, but the focus was not necessarily seeking organisations and institutions to support us. It was more just finding a venue or finding a space. So I think it started with making those connections before we actually started to build relationships with other organisations in the same field so we had a, a really amazing relationship with a venue that sadly is now closed down which was the after dark and um corner, yeah, yeah just around the corner um a very historic uh, venue actually from back to the 70s so that was very sad to to lose that and that kind of flung us into this moving to locate ourselves at rising sun and that's been an amazing relationship, um, which is ongoing. Um, and we've been very lucky along the way to meet people like Annie with uh, her theatre company, 
girl called Stephen. Um, and it's just been a very slow burn to kind of build up relationships from like the bigger organizations, I think, for Double OK, because I don't think that's been our emphasis is that we want to kind of partner up necessarily because we didn't feel that space was available to us before. We kind of want to kind of ground ourselves in that in our own space before we kind of like give something of ourselves to other institutions it's been building trust I think maybe we felt it's been more important that they our trust is built up that we trust them yeah rather than that they trust us and I think that's slowly happening as they see that we're consistently doing things and and evolving Uh, we've seen more people kind of contact us to do things but the most consistent you know in terms of organization and institution has been rising sun because it's kind of like yeah use the space because that's its ethos in terms of everyone it's like this is a community space use it how you need to use it and I think that's the difference of like they're not you know rising sun doesn't ask what you need it says just do what you need to do whereas other organizations you need to kind of spell it out to them it's kind of exactly what you require whereas there's none of that complication with having to explain yourself it's like rising sun is a much more open space to kind of accept that everyone has different needs rather than you having to spell it out that's what i really like about the rising sun where other organizations do feel like you either have to fit inside their box or their ideal about what it means to be an artist and queer but with the rising sun it quite literally is you come in you do what you want and we'll help support you along the way and if you do a good job, you can pretty much stay. And that's, <laughs> that's what I really like. I don't like having to change myself to fit with someone else's idea of what it means to be all of these things. So no, I definitely agree. That's what's really nice about this place, um, the Rising Sun. Yeah, because when you apply for funding, you, you say we're going to do this, this and this, and it's going to fit your criteria. But when you come to the Rising Sun, they're like his space use it and then it just happens there's no need to justify why you're doing it or sell yourself I think that's what I find hard is trying to sell myself to organizations I'll answer the question as well I think it's important to kind of note that I am I'm part of double okay but I also work at the rising sun and I've been working here part-time for just just about a year now and I think that has made a massive difference to the support that we've received as well as the support we're able to give and I think now everything's blurry and part of my role feels also part of double okay and I'm trying to like help queer people come to the rising sun as a rising sun person as well as a double okay person but like having a stable job in the arts as a queer person in Reading like so hard to come by and I get paid I mean I get paid 10 hours a week which is not much but it's it's something and I think to be honest with you what a lot of other organizations need to do is provide roles and jobs for queer creatives in Reading so that they don't have to work other day jobs that they hate and also that they can input into the organization 
from a higher level. But that's also quite a barrier as well, isn't it? If you're applying to something to make work with an organisation, you might not really know how that organisation works and their structure and what they're looking for. You know, there are arts organisations in Reading and some of them are quite small, have small teams and small staff. Say, you know, there's young creatives in Reading just coming into the scene and, you know, they want to make work. They're super keen, but just, I think it's sometimes a barrier not knowing how these organizations do work so I think even if it's not actually you know physically making work as your job having you know being in the building makes such a difference and so even if say you're ushering or you're you know you're interning with like a marketing department or something I don't know I feel like everyone's so up for absorbing all that as well you you know you end up hearing conversations about programming and you end up seeing what you know the inner workings of an organization and that is another factor into helping your creative practice as well because yeah then you kind of learn about if you know if what you make will be good for this organization and you also have a income from you know from actually working there as well not always making work it's yeah it's been major for me working in other um, arts organizations not even creating just because then I like sort of know what they're up to how how I can help So last question is, how do we move forward from talking about this? What strategies do you think organisations and institutions can put in place to support queer creatives in Reading? So we'll start with George. Often there is a lot of approaching people like us to do the labour in trying to figure out how to solve the problem rather than trying to put things in place like policies in place to avoid there being a problem that we then have to fix rather than them trying to figure out some ways to stop the problem from occurring mm. if that makes any sense so the um, problem being that there's no, there isn't, queer, no queer creatives in exactly. the organization or they're struggling to foster those relationships kind of inward looking and then you know and if they are going to ask people externally why why they have this problem or how do they solve it that they are compensated either by actually get, receiving the support afterwards or financially or you know in some way because you know that is part you know the labor involved in having to kind of talk about these things can sometimes be really tricky no but that has been our experience as double okay is that organizations have said we need more queer people come in and sort it out for us. And then there's been no support for us. There's been no pay. There's been no space. There's been no care. And then you still expect us to bring in people from our community who may be even more marginalised than us, may feel even more unsafe than us because they're not producing into your organisation. And I think I, I think that's what that's what needs to change. We'll go to Emmeline. It reminds me a lot of rainbow capitalism where it's all this promotion to bring the queer community into these institutions and organisations. They put all these words to really make us feel like we're accepted, like we're going to come in there and they're actually going to help us, support us. But what you find majority of the time is that like the rainbows that come out at all those months and everything is that 
it's just a fat to them. It's not actually something they want to do to help us. It's just that they can say in the end of the day, oh, but we have queer people in our organizations, but they don't do anything to support them. They don't let those people speak or create these events or give them the help they need so that they can bring other artists, queer people and such into these spaces. So I guess it's also about asking people what they need as well on an individual basis, not just presuming that all queer people need like this one thing, but it's like, okay, this queer person, what does this queer person need and how can we support them? Because it feels more right now similar to when a workplace will hire one black person to fill a quota. It feels like that's what these places are doing. They reach out to us so they can fill a quota, so they can say, we have the community behind us, we support the community, but there is no genuine support behind those words. They're not helping us. They're just adding us to their little collection so they look like a very diverse, open space when that's not the reality. And I think that it does come around in popularity waves as well, that, you know, as as time goes on, there are people who you should support more than others. And we've definitely been offered more queer space this year. Shall we go to Annie next? I'd echo what everyone else is saying for sure. Yeah, it's I guess it's literally just practicing properly what what you preach. So as an institution, if you want to diversify who's engaging with the arts in Reading, then you need policy in place to make sure the organisations in, you know, that you're connecting with are actually putting in the support to actually do that, to support these emerging companies and queer artists. And yeah, that it's not, oh, here's a bit of funding for you, but we need you to we need you to, you know, engage diverse artists and then the organisation goes to do that and it's just a little box at the end where you say, yes, I am a diverse artist, hello. And there's actually clearly no support behind that and there there are then barriers. So actually it's, it's not worth the artist even putting their mind into because, yeah, that's not the support there or finances there. It's just clearly something that this organisation is needing to do to... Yeah, to take a box. It, I keep saying box ticking, don't I? But it's just, it is just the truth of the whole arts industry right now. How does your organisation become a queer friendly organisation? That's what I think organisations need to think about. They're not, they're thinking, oh, how can we bring in the queer community? But they're not thinking, is this space safe for queer people? Is it, are we going to advertise ourselves as a queer friendly venue? Because there aren't, there aren't really any organisations in Reading that explicitly say that. So then when you bring in queer people, what, what, yeah, what are you doing? Like, are you aiming for that for the long term? Thank you, everyone, for joining me. Thank you, George, Annie and Emmeline. It's been really interesting to have these conversations and it's felt very important for me as just personally to have it in the rising sun which is where I work um I think you know all of this applies to the rising sun as much as it does to any other organization um but it feels it feels really special so thank you thank you for all your insights 
Thank you for listening. For more information about Guild, please visit www.eaststreetarts.org.uk. Thank you.